Hello, hello and welcome to The Good Robot Andy's Season 7, Episode 6. I've just been treated to um, Andy C's eyebrow rendition of Beethoven's Fifth. That's what it was, yeah. yeah. It was actually pretty good. No, isn't it? What's the one? Uh, oh, the uh, 1812. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's what it. That's what it was. I was actually. Tr- I was trying to upset your equilibrium. Yes, yeah, we were you trying did. to be quiet, and it worked. <laughs> so yeah, you're listening to the Good Robot <laughs> Andy season seven episode six. My name's Andy Balam, and this is Andy Cockerell. <laughs> and the thing that we're going to talk about tonight, or the title rather of the episode this evening, is yes, Anderson Schmanderson. Anderson Schmanderson. And so, it's all yeah. about Gillian Anderson. <laughs> Um, for, out of well, the it X-Files. could be, it could be, but it's not. Oh, so yeah, same surname, different person. Oh, so okay, Are they, do they allow that? Um, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I guess. I guess we'll have to allow it. Okay. Um, so I'm afraid we're not talking about Gillian Anderson from the X Files okay. and from things since then. Okay. Um, although that would be all right as well. Yeah. I think. Um, we're actually talking about American movie director and writer and producer Wes Anderson Wes Anderson um, so are yeah. there any celebrity deaths we have to deal with first um, there's one that I thought of a little while ago now actually um, so uh, you know I'll kind of sneak one in there <laughs> um, and that was um, another another what an adjunct python uh-huh. um, and that was Neil Innes okay who was a member of the Ruttles. I don't know if you remember no. the Ruttles. So the Ruttles was a, a spoof Beatles uh, four-piece. Okay. Uh, featuring Eric Idle, uh, Neil Innes, and two other people. <laughs> um, uh, they were endorsed by George Harrison. So George Harrison sort of um, said, yeah, it's a good idea. We need a, bit of a, we need a bit of a spoof. Right. And it was spun out of Rutland Weekend Television, which I saw some of during the 1970s, I think. Okay. Which was a kind of, again, a kind of spoof local news right. features program. Right, right. It sounds like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, which was set in Rutland, the smallest county in Britain, a tiny little county mm-hmm. in the Midlands. Um, and the Ruttles were spun out of that. And Neil Innes was one of them. He was. He also wrote a lot of the songs for Python with Eric Idle. Right, and okay. I remember him. He's in. Um, he's in Holy Grail. He's one of the people with the coconuts. <laughs> well, I can't remember who's. I can't remember who's um, coconut person he is. Right. But he's one of the people with coconuts. Right. Um, and he, I remember. In the 70s, maybe early 80s, he had a show on the BBC called The Innes Book of Records, mm-hmm. in which he did satirical songs, but you know, that, that sounded a bit like punk rock songs, but were kind of being satirical and right. thumbing their nose at punk rock. Very, oh no, most importantly, he was a founding member of the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Okay. Which you may not have heard of, but. I um, have heard of him. But yeah, so he I was a founding member of the, place of the Bonzos. He sang lead vocals on their one and only hit, <laughs> which was called the, what was it called? The Urban Spaceman. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he sang lead vocals on that. Um, really talented guy. He, actually, he died a little while ago now, um, but uh, I'd forgotten to talk about it on the pod. Right. Adjunct Python, Neil right. Innes. Right, right, right. And, and Bonzo Dog Doodah Band founder. Comedy songs, they're not very yes. good, are they? It's not a good thing. There shouldn't be uh, any... 
I think generally they are not a good thing, but I think the Pythons did them rather well. Really? So there's an album called Monty Python Sings, right? which is all of their songs gathered together. Uh, and uh, some of them are very good. Yeah, don't like them. I quite okay. like the Horrible Histories comedy oh, songs. Oh, they're, they're good, yeah. I think they're at the top yeah. of the genre. Yeah, they're pretty solid, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, pretty solid. Other than that, really. I mean, even including that, to be honest, let's just not have comedy songs. Let's just have <laughs> comedy and songs. Separately. Comedy and songs, but not comedy songs. Yeah, I mean, why? But what if comedy turns into a song? Is it well, then... You should stop. It's forbidden. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, not forbidden. It's just I, I don't forbid it. You know, I just don't like it. Okay. And, and I forbid it. But you did just forbid it, so... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay, thanks everyone. Thanks everyone, that's it, that's the pod. No, it's not. Carry on, um, except, okay. except if you're doing comedy songs, in which case, stop. As far as I know, comedy songs, oh no, maybe they are actually. There might be a comedy song in one of Wes Anderson's movies. <laughs> in which case, it's struck from history immediately. Right, it probably did um, quite well. So, um, yeah, uh, some by Jarvis Cocker, so can't be all bad. <laughs> Okay. Um, so yeah, Wes Anderson, one of my favourite movie directors. Certainly, a very distinctive um, look and feel to all of his movies. You know, you're watching a Wes Anderson film. Yeah, I think you do probably from the first frame. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's an American filmmaker. He was born in May. May the 1st, 1969. So actually, he's a bit younger than me, which is um, scary. His films are known for their distinctive visual and narrative styles and is regarded by some critics as a modern-day example of the auteur. The auteur. I don't really subscribe to the to the auteur. Um, no. Because it takes hundreds, sometimes thousands of people to make a film. Uh, not one person. But I, I, I kind of understand. But I don't subscribe to it. But I kind of understand what what the phrase means. In terms of the fact that all of his films have a very distinctive look and feel to them. Yeah. Um, but he's not solely responsible for that. You know, he's he's got a cinematographer and he's got people who do production design and you know to make what's in his head a real thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, can't he just be good? Yeah. yeah, he is good. Right, and his yeah. team can be good too. Exactly. Um, so three of his films, The Royal Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom and The Grand Budapest Hotel, appeared in BBC's 2016 poll of the greatest films since 2000. That's pretty good. Royal Tenenbaums, I uh, really liked. Yep. Really liked. Weird. I mean, they're all weird. They all, they're all strange, yeah. Is the other one the one that's a love story? The second the one other, you mentioned. Moonrise Kingdom. It's about two kids on the yeah. run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah kind of, yeah. great. Yeah, it is great. Yeah. And the Grand Budapest Hotel, I think, is amazing. Don't think I've seen that. Um, so he was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for the Royal Tenenbaums and for Moonrise Kingdom and for the Grand Budapest Hotel, mm -hmm. as well as an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature for... Fantastic, Mr. Fox, and Isle of Dogs. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't realise um, he made either of them. There, yeah, I think... We'll, we'll get on to that, but I think I think Isle of Dogs is a masterpiece. Mm. 
of stop motion. Um, so with the Grand Budapest Hotel, he received his first Academy Award nominations for Best Director and Best Picture. And he won the Golden Globe Award for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, and the BAFTA Award for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, and he won the Silver Bear, which I think is at Berlin, for Best Director for Isle of Dogs in 2018. That's quite something it's for well a stop motion movie. Yeah, for a stop motion movie to win Best Director, I think is quite something. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the reason why we're talking about this, we spoke about this. Did we talk about it on the pod or did we talk about it outside of the pod? I think maybe Don't it was remember. outside of the pod. Um, we talked about doing something a bit different on the pod and sort of um, occasionally talking about a director or an actor or a producer's filmography. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed like a good idea to do it now because, um, you know, I'm in, I'm self-isolating uh, because I'm a wheezy asthmatic who coughs and sniffs all the time. Listener, you may have noticed this. Um <laughs> So, uh, and, and obviously a lot of other people are also self-isolating, or at least they should be, and uh, all the cinemas are shut. So I thought it'd be a good opportunity to talk about a filmmaker's filmography and uh, give you an idea of where you can watch these films online. I've got a, I've got a lovely, lovely spreadsheet with um, bright oh, colours on. We love that we can post. We can post to the blog that, right. that shows you where you can watch the movies. Nice. And which streaming services or where you can rent them online, that kind of thing. Um, but anyway, should we should we dig into his filmography? Let's do it. Let's go from the let's go from the top. We won't go into a great deal of detail, but we'll talk about. Um, uh, so first up is Bottle Bottle Rocket. This was his debut, all the way back in nineteen ninety six. Don't think I've seen it or even heard of it. Uh, it's not well, not well known. Um, features uh, Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson and Andrew Wilson as well, who doesn't do that many movies, and also James Kahn. Music by Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo. Um, so it's a, a crime comedy film. And it was a commercial failure but launched his career and drew attention from critics. So a few people noticed. Yeah. And director Martin Scorsese later named Battle Bottle Rocket one of his top f- ten favourite movies of the 1990s. Mm-hmm. So that got him on the map. Mm. I have seen this some time ago now. It's okay. <laughs> it's, Does it have um, a distinctive style? No, it doesn't really. So mm. it, it definitely suffers from a lack of budget. Okay. Um... And it, and his star hasn't settled yet. Okay. So although it's got the stalwart actors in it, so the 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 Wilson brothers are actors who feature in a lot of his movies. Okay. Um. The the whole uh the whole visual aesthetic um and the production design hasn't really settled down, okay. and that might be due to budget constraints, mm-hmm. and it might be just the fact that they haven't settled down yet. So yeah, he hasn't yeah. found his you know. What's going to make it work? I remember quite enjoying this, mm-hmm. but I I kind of wished it was more Wes Anderson-y. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I I also think that maybe if I'd seen it when it came out, it would have kind of passed me by, right? And I thought, yeah, that was okay. You know, it's 
it's trying to be something, but I'm not really sure what it's trying to be. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, I, I think that, at, uh, you know, at the moment when people have a lot of time indoors, I think it's, it's definitely worth watching for it's complete, for completion. Interesting you know. that someone, someone spotted something in him yeah. and his team. Well, I guess Martin Scorsese, who is, you know, he's a bit good. Mm-hmm. He spotted something in there that he thought, yeah, he knows how to put a mil- This guy knows, knows how to put a film together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly isn't a bad film, mm-hmm. but it's not a Wes Anderson movie yet. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so it says on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it says Reservoir Dogs meets Breathless with a West Texas sensibility. What's Breathless? So Breathless is a remake uh, of a movie also called Breathless, which <laughs> is a French New Wave film. Mm-hmm. And the remake stars Richard Gere, mm-hmm. one of Mark Como's favourite movies, okay. Breathless, with Richard Gere. Um, and it's kind of like a, a guy on the run. He's a bit of a criminal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Bottle Rocket is a kind of crime comedy. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's not kind of. It is a crime comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, set in West Texas. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good. It's definitely worth watching. Um, it's based on his, uh, there's a short that he made in 1992, which was filmed in black and white, which also stars Owen and Luke Wilson. The short had a similar plot to the later feature film and it was screened at the 1994 Sundance Film Festival. So, you know, this is most definitely a first movie. This is, you know, a lot of, a lot of directors, a lot of directors take their first short film and then expand it into Mm. a feature film. Yeah. That's a pretty common thing to do. Um, so that's the first one. That is Bottle Rocket. Um, next one is Rushmore. Okay, now I've definitely heard of that, but I don't think I've seen it. Okay, so this is the first of his um, movies to feature Bill Murray. Right. And Bill Murray is a Wes Anderson actor. You know, he's yes. almost tailor-made for the material. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so this is the first one to feature Bill Murray and also the first one to feature Jason Schwartzman. Um, uh, and I think this is the first time I saw Jason Jason Schwartzman in a movie. Uh, and since then, uh, Schwartzman is the go-to guy. If you want to cast someone who's a real jerk, mm-hmm. who's like got no self-awareness and is just kind of like a bull in the china shop, you cast Jason Schwartzman <laughs> in a movie. Uh, and that's definitely uh, the tone of Rushmore. So it's a coming-of-age comedy drama film about an eccentric teenager, Max Fisher, played by Jason Schwartzman, in his film debut, and his friendship with rich industrialist Herman Bloom, played by Bill Murray. There's there's a significant group of people who simply love Bill Murray so much that they'll happily watch him in anything. I think I probably would watch him in anything. He's yeah. really good. Yeah, he just has this. In the way that Nicolas Cage has taken acting to a whole new level, a whole new art form, <laughs> Murray's done the same thing, because he's always kind of the same in everything. <laughs> but but I'm happy about that because I just really like Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, I like him in Charlie's Angels. Yeah, he's fun in he's fun in Charlie's Angels. I really like Charlie's Angels. I think he's great in. Um, 
oh no oh there's a movie in which he plays like a complete loser although he does that quite a lot <laughs> um no it'll come to me it'll come to me in a while anyway so yes this was the first the first anderson collaboration with bill murray mm-hmm. um i think murray's been in most of his movies since then uh this is all uh so yeah uh, so yes, it's about their relationship and their love in common for elementary school teacher Rosemary Cross, played by Olivia Williams. Okay. So the film was co-written by Anderson and Owen Wilson. The soundtrack features several songs by bands associated with the British invasion of the sixties. Um, and the film helped launch the careers of Wes Anderson and Jason Schwartzman, while establishing a second career for Murray uh, as a, an indie film actor. So you know he was Bill Murray was big in the eighties. He was on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. He did two Ghostbusters movies yeah, and yeah. a few other things with Ivan Reitman, and then he kind of disappeared off the map a bit. When was Groundhog Day? Uh, that was earlier than this. I'm thinking 1990, 91, something like mm-hmm. that. That was a bit of a resurgence for him, I guess. Right, and then he kind of slipped off, slipped off the radar, and then came back with this. And then, you know, it's a case of finding someone that you can work with. Yeah. And then doing as much stuff with them as you can. In much the same way that, if you think about George Clooney, mm-hmm. successful TV actor, did Batman and Robin, <laughs> you think, okay, that will tank your career. That will effectively tank your career. But he hooked up with um, Steven Soderbergh and revitalized his career. Because you find someone that you can work with. So what did he do with Steven Soderbergh? Uh, Out of Sight. Right. Which is a pretty good Elmore Leonard adaptation. So I've heard him say that he explicitly does alternate movies, like a good one and then a profitable one and then a good one. Right. Or is that just luck? (laughs) Well, that's what he says. Okay. I mean, how do you know it's going to be profitable? Well, profitable to him, I mean. Oh, like, I see. So a commercial one and then a, a good Oh, okay. One, well, I guess, the, uh, yeah, okay. If you can afford to do that, then you do that. I'm sure I mean, he's he certainly can. He's certainly taken what many would consider, you know, Batman Robin, a career killer, and turned that around. So he's one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. Yeah, quite something. He's done a lot with the Coen brothers, of course. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking... Two movies with the Coens? Is it only two? Might be more, but I'm thinking Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? and Intolerable Cruelty, which I hated. Oh right. no, there's one more. I feel like he's been in at least one more. There's one more. Uh, Burn After Reading was the other one. Yeah. Which I also hated. I quite like that. I, I, I enjoyed that when I didn't realise it was a Coen Brothers film. Oh, okay. I think that helped yeah. a lot. We should definitely do the Coens on this, uh, yeah. in this segment. Yeah. That's a big filmography. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so established a second career for Bill Murray um, at the 1999 Independent Spirit, Independent Spirit Awards. Anderson won the Best Director Award and Murray won Best Supporting Male Award. Murray also won the nomination for Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actor. And starting from Rushmore, Murray has been Anderson's collaborator in every subsequent film. Okay, it's every film since then. I didn't realise that. Mm. That's amazing. 
So while the box office results were modest, I mean, I don't think that Anderson's films set the box office alight, mm-hmm. but they're fairly modestly budgeted anyway. The film had a positive reception among critics and is considered to be one of Anderson's finest. Uh, oh, so I should check that out then. Yeah, Rushmore is great. Right, Rushmore right, right. is definitely un film de Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got all of the all of the tropes that you've come to know and love. Yeah. They're all there. Uh, and in 2016, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry. So tell us a bit about those traits that you're talking about. Which ones are evident in Rushmore? Okay, so um, I'm talking about framing. So Anderson frequently uses very symmetrical framing. Mm-hmm. He uses locked down cameras. So there's no poor green grass... Um, Shaky cam. Shaky cam. So, yeah, very steady. And still, very steady. Fact, like not, and usually, often not moving yeah. or, or moving very slowly, right? Yeah, moving very slowly. So he doesn't usually use a rig, like a wig, rig on wheels. Um, so he'll he'll move the camera somewhere else and then, you know, have a different frame. And they're often also, framed like pictures or even like cartoon fr- yeah. frames. Yeah, and also the palette. So the palette's mm. really important. So... The production design on these movies is very specific. So he he tends not to use primary colours. He tends to use sort of slightly muted colours in his production design. And that's where you were talking about, you know you're looking at a Wes Anderson movie in the first frame. Mm. Because of the production design and the framing. And the performances are sometimes slightly larger than life or mannered. They're totally... So unusually for me, because usually I hate things that are not naturalistic yeah performances the yeah the the acting in most of his films is like deliberately um i don't know whether wooden is the right word but it's like, not wooden it's but it is weird. quite it is quite mannered it's quite there's an artifice there but it's not unpleasant yeah, so you're, you're looking at it and pe- they're standing or sitting in positions that people don't normally sit in so that they yeah. look so they look like they're framed in a picture. Yeah. And then they're speaking in ways that people don't normally speak. Yes. But, but ways which are kind of Familiar. nice to listen to. Yeah, it's nice to listen to. Yeah, definitely. If I contrast it with the way they tend to do Shakespeare, which where they speak in ways that I find like irritating. Agony to listen to. Agony, yes. Forsooth, etc. Uh, so that's Rushmore. That was his second movie. That's that is for me the 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 movie where he became Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. basically. Um, next, we have the Royal Tenenbaums mm-hmm. from two thousand one. Wow, so quite early then. Okay. Yeah, it is quite early. It's um, and this is a this is a movie where he expands the cast even more. Um, so it's a American comedy drama film from two thousand one. Uh, again, co-written with Owen Wilson. And the film stars Danny Glover, Gene Hackman in one of his last movie performances. Mm. He's still around, he's just retired. Angelica Houston, Bill Murray, Gwyneth Paltrow, Ben Stiller, Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson. Good Ben Stiller role, isn't it? It's a great bet. I mean, he plays a really um, angsty um, single parent. Mm-hmm. Um and in the way that Ben Stiller can be quite twitchy and angsty, he plays it very well. I feel like with with probably all of them, but but especially like the first one you watch, and I think probably Royal Tenenbaums was the first 
Anderson film that I watched, I basically had to watch it once and get an idea of what it was going to be like. Yep. And then I could watch it again to actually enjoy it. Cause it to settle into it, yeah. Yeah, it was it was too weird at first viewing to really be able to follow the story. I was just freaked out by the weirdness. Yeah, it is. It is quite a strange... Um, and again, we're talking about the artifice and mm. performances. Uh, I, I love the Royal Tenenbaums. So I saw this when it, came out, when it came out and I've watched it probably every year since it came out. Mm. I just love it. I love the tone of it. I love the story. Mm. I love... I mean, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of Gene Hackman and Danny Glover. Well, I'm a big fan of the whole cast, actually, but I, but of Gene Hackman in particular from... Um, we'll go back to The French Connection, the movie that William Friedkin made before he made The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays a character in that called Popeye Doyle, who's a hard-bitten New York detective. And Hackman, I, for me, I think Hackman is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, movie actor of like the 70s and 80s. Right. I just think he's incredible. Um, that kind of utterly naturalistic American acting that is only comes out of a you know um, a school where they teach you how to be a method actor right. and, and Hackman just has that you know his utterly believable line delivery of everything that he does there's some bad movies but Gene yeah. Hackman's never bad in a bad movie he's always yeah. great you're a sucker for um a painful family relationship, so oh, Royal Tenenbaums works for you. It's full of them. Yeah, it's full of them. So he plays he plays um, Royal Tenenbaum, who is qu- I'd say quite a nasty piece of work in mm. many ways. Who basically belittles and uh, psychologically bullies his children <laughs> all the time. Um, and actually, not not just his children, the people around him as well. Hmm. So his ex-wife, played by Angelica Houston, the people that he owes money to, he is a thoroughly disreputable man. But yet, you you still feel some sympathy for him, hmm. and you feel some empathy for him. Uh, narrated by the great Alec Baldwin, a very distinctive voice. <laughs> um, Royal Tenenbaums is great. It's uh, definitely, if you, uh, it's probably the one that most people have seen. I should mm. think, because it was it was very successful. It follows this this uh, prosperous and highly successful family, where each member of which is successful in a different field. Yes, so they're all they're all overachieving, you know. Yeah, um, and that's because of him. That's because Royal Tenenbaum, who just doesn't acknowledge any of their any of their success so they just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying so they overachieve at everything that they do <coughs> yeah it's very painful yeah it is painful and but all it's of this also is done funny. against the background of this weird uh colorful framed and strange acting yes it's <laughs> going on production design so you've got ben stiller and his twin sons they all dress in the same color track suits <laughs> yeah which is really amusing <laughs> You got Gwyneth Paltrow's character, who's his daughter, who's who dresses in a little girl's dress. She's great. Um, you've got, uh, I think it's Luke Wilson, who is a tennis player, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Owen Wilson, who is like a cowboy. 
and uh, Bill Murray is Gwyneth Paltrow's husband, and uh, it's glory. It's a glorious piece of work. Yeah, <clears throat> there's a great deal of joy. It's, I know we described it as as it probably sounds miserable, but it's full not. of joy. It's very funny. It's very very funny. Um, so yeah, so that that's the Royal Tenenbaums, and then we move on to 2004. And the Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, <laughs> which I've um, also seen, which is which is uh, very good. I knew what to expect. Yeah, because it's Wes Anderson, and it's very Bill Murray centric. Uh, yeah, Bill Murray plays um, Steve Zizou, who I think is a kind of a surrogate for Jacques Cousteau. Right, it's that kind of um, that kind of thing. Uh, so his fourth his fourth feature length film. Released in 2004, it was written by Anderson and Noah Baumbach. And Noah Baumbach is another American um, uh, movie maker who makes uh, sort of relationship-driven dramas. He's a very, very talented guy. I feel like we've spoken about him before. We have, yeah. His partner is Greta Gerwig, who we have we have also spoken about. Uh, she directed Lady Bird. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. And it was filmed in and around Naples, Ponza, and the Italian Riviera. And it stars, it's huge, another huge cast list. So Murray returning, Owen Wilson again, Kate Blanchett's in this one, Angelica Houston back again, Willem Dafoe, Jeff Goldblum, Michael Gambon, <laughs> and Bud Court. Again, music by Mark Mother's Bar. Um, I've only seen this once. And I I really did enjoy it, but I I would really like to watch it again. Actually, I don't remember much about it except that it was it was so Anderson. Maybe it was a bit maybe too, too much. Anderson. Maybe too Anderson. Yeah. Um, so the film stars Bill Murray as the eponymous Steve Zizou, an eccentric oceanographer who sets out to exact revenge on the jaguar shark that ate his partner Esteban. So Zizou is both a parody and an homage to French diving pioneer Jacques Cousteau, mm-hmm. to whom the film is dedicated. Um, yeah, I I think that coming off the back of the Royal Tenenbaums, I think the Life Aquatic is not as good. Okay. I think it's pretty good. Um, it's certainly got a fantastic cast. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in its you know, since it was released, it's developed a cult following, and it's underwent a critical reevaluation. So it wasn't actually all that um, lauded when it came out. It's only got a fifty six percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and many critics view it more favor favorably now. Right, right. Um, and consider it to be undervalued compared to the rest of his filmography. I think it's. I'd watch it again, but I but I I feel that um, there's better stuff to be had in his filmography. I think if you watch some of the others and really like them, well, then you definitely know what you're getting if you watch yeah. Life Aquatic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, references in popular culture. So the name of the Mexican rock band Belafonte Sensacional is inspired in part by this movie. But I don't know why. <laughs> it's a good name, though. Okay. 
uh, Austin Toft of Swimming with Dolphins has listed this movie as his favourite film. Okay. Well, I don't know why we should care about that. No. No. Uh, so let's move on to uh, the Darjeeling Limited. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that. Okay. Uh, this is rather good, actually. Uh, and again, expands the cast once again. Uh, so it's a 2007 American comedy drama film directed by Wes Anderson. He produced it with Scott Rudin, Roman Coppola, and Lydia Dean Pilcher, and co-wrote it with Coppola and Jason Schwartzman. And the film stars Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, so new cast member there, and Jason Schwartzman. Also features Waris Aluwalia, Amaran Karan and Barbette Schroeder. Angelica Houston returns. Natalie Portman's in this as well. And Bill Murray, of course. So he gets famous people in his films. Yeah, he really does. He really does. Um, so the plot is, a businessman in India fails to catch his train, which is called the Darjeeling Limited, and he's beaten to it by younger men. Um, and... Uh, so these these three, as uh, Owen Wilson, Jason Schwartzman, and Adrian Brody, they're on the train. It's basically a train movie, like a road movie. You know, it's them travelling from one place to another and sort of getting a bit of insight into who they are. I feel like it's, maybe I have seen it. I really enjoyed it. It's it's a bit of a return to form. Okay. I think mainly because the scale is smaller. So I think. The Life Aquatic has a big, unwieldy cast and quite big, unwieldy themes. Mm-hmm. The Darjeeling Limited kind of pulls it all back and makes it more intimate. Right. And that definitely works in its favour. And, of course, the cast is, as ever, just brilliant. Uh, very, very Wes Anderson-y looking, but not in the way of The Life Aquatic, which I think is maybe just too much. It's incredibly stylized, The Life Aquatic. Yeah, uh, this is less so. Uh, and, uh, it's set in India, and it's very very evocative. Right. Um, did well at the box office, too. So it had a budget of 17.5 million and took 35. So mm. it's not bad. Um, so much of the film was shot in Jodhpur, Rajasthan, and the Himalaya scenes were shot in uh, Udaipur, Udaipur. The opening shot of the film was shot on the streets of Jodhpur. So yeah, all shot on location, and the scenes in New York were filmed in Long Island. Hmm. Um, good soundtrack. So features some Kinks, um, the Stones are on it as well. So, generally favourably reviewed. It's got a 69% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I like a bit of the kinks. Yeah, I do, actually. Yeah. Yeah. When are they going to reform? <laughs> never. Never. Probably never. Are they still with us? They're all still with us, I okay. think. Certainly the brothers who famously don't get on. Is that um, right? They're still with us, yeah. Okay. Um, so Roger Ebert gave the film three and a half out of four calling the film's Indian context one of its main highlights right 
he singled out the script and he said that it uses India not in a touristy way, but as a backdrop that is very, very there. Which is kind of what I was talking about with the train and the location. And right, it right. makes good use of that to tell a story. Right. Um, yeah, I, I liked, I really enjoyed the Darjeeling Limited. It's a return to form, I feel. And then... Uh, so definitely next want one, to put on the list. Definitely. And then coming up... And from 2009, we've got a big change of tack and a new collaborator. We've got Fantastic Mr. Fox. Right. Um, have you seen that? No. No. Okay. So this is based on the Roald Dahl book. Yes. Uh, it's stop motion. I kind of assumed it would be pointless and didn't bother with it. <laughs> it's I really didn't know good. It was, I didn't even know it was stop motion. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so it's based on Roald Dahl's 1970s children novel of the same name. And the film is about a fox who steals food each night from three men and wealth, three mean and wealthy farmers. Um, they are fed up with Mr. Fox's theft and try to kill him. So they dig their way into the fox's home. This is all sounding very familiar. However, <laughs> the animals are able to outwit the farmers and live underground. Uh-huh. It was released in the autumn of 2009. And features the voices of George Clooney. We were just talking about him. Uh-huh. Uh, Meryl Streep. So two new cast members arriving there. Right. Jason Schwartzman is back. Bill Murray's back. Willem okay. Dafoe's back. Michael Gambon is back. <laughs> Owen Wilson is still there. And for Anderson, it was his first animated film and first adaptation of somebody else's work. Right. And develop- development began in 2004 as a collaboration between Anderson and Henry Selick. You've got to think that directing a stop-motion film is almost entirely unlike directing a live-action film. Um, I don't think so. No, I mean, I think... I, I do agree that it's... Well, I, I think that it's a very specific skill. So, you know, you have studios like um, Aardman who mm-hmm. specialise in it, and also studio Leica, who specialise in um, mm-hmm. in stop motion, but I think in terms of control, you have a lot more control over a stop motion movie than you have on a a live action. Yeah, but film. I mean, it, like your day to day job on a live action film is going to a real place, getting yep. your actors to act yep. in certain ways, getting your um, filmographer to point the camera in certain directions. Mm. Like that is nothing like what you're going to be doing. On a stop motion film. Cinematographer. Um, sorry, I was just correcting you there. What did you say? You said filmographer. Oh, is that wrong? Yeah, no, it's okay. Cinematographer. Um, yeah, I can see what I can see what you mean. Um, I think the performance comes from. I, I guess he directs the actors when they do their voice recording. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, that's what drives the action when they when they shoot the movie. Okay. Um, so they they record the audio years, sometimes years in advance of actually shooting the film. Um, yeah, I can see that, but I think I think um, I really enjoyed Fantastic Mr. Fox. It has a slightly rough and ready feel to it. So you know, sometimes in in an Aardman movie, you can see someone's thumbprint on uh-huh. 
on something. There's a lot of that in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Right. right, right. But That's it kind of works. It gives it a very analog, yeah. slightly beaten up feel to it, which I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a Wes Anderson movie, <laughs> <laughs> but not in the kind of art, not in the kind of artifice way that The Life Aquatic is. Definitely a Wes Anderson movie. This has the symmetrical framing and the color palette, and it it feels very comforting and familiar. Okay. Um, I think that in terms of um, you know, if we're talking about a dysfunctional family, uh, Mr. Fox's family is definitely portrayed as being a dysfunctional family. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it was released in two thousand and nine. Has a ninety two percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So big, you know, it was it, this was a big release for him. Right. Um, oh, I should, it sounds like I should watch it. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. it's very very good. Uh, so the soundtrack was um, in a break with previous movies. Was composed by Alexander Despla, uh, Jarvis Cocker as well. Um, wrote three or four songs for the movie which were included on the soundtrack and as with other Anderson movies there's a there's a good sort of pop soundtrack as well so there's Beach Boys and The Stones again um, yeah good soundtrack there's a lot of tracks on there uh, so Reception 92% rating as I'm saying and the consensus reading it's a delightfully funny feast for the eyes with multi-generational appeal and it shows Wes Anderson has a knack for animation. And I, so, I think um, it, yeah. Do you like it for you, or just do you like it because you're able to appreciate a children's film? I appreciate lots of children's movies. So, right. But is it? But do you appreciate it only as a children's movie? No, I appreciate it as a film as well. It's okay. a it's a very very fine piece of stop motion filmmaking, as well as being a decent children's uh, a family film. Mm-hmm. Um. I think probably, I mean, I wouldn't consider Anderson's movies to be all that family friendly. No. This one definitely is. Right. Um, yeah. It's good. Fantastic Mr. Fox is very, very good. And it's it's one of those things where when I heard about this being in production, I thought, really? Yeah. He's making a stop motion movie of Fantastic Mr. Fox? But it works. It just it seems works so really well. Yeah, yeah, it is. It it does seem like a left turn, but it does work. If you, if you, I just imagine him on set with with it being such an alive place. Yes. Um, with all that color and you know, everything has to be just so. Yeah. And then for him to be just in a room somewhere looking at the daily stop motion things. Yeah. It just feels weird that that he would want to do that. I think that. Um, so let's address that. I think that if you're a director who likes a large level of control, right? I mean, then yeah. stop motion is perfect in that respect because you yeah. control every aspect of it, and you haven't got actors having hissy fits <laughs> and saying, "I'm going back to my trailer because you won't do this." That's just not going to happen on a stop motion movie. So, uh, but anyway. He was back on familiar ground for his next movie, which is 2012's Moonrise Kingdom, which I right. think we, yes, which you have seen. Which I've seen once, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed this as well. So this is a coming of oh here, here we go, a 
coming of age <laughs> coming, feature film coming of age movie uh, written by Anderson and Roman Coppola again uh, so we have some new cast members uh, led by Bruce Willis okay um, Edward Norton joins the cast Bill Murray is in this Francis McDormand Tilda Swinton uh, Jason Schwartzman and Bob Balaban also also joins the cast uh, music again by Alexander Desplat uh, so the plot is um, largely set on the fictional New England island of New Penzance it tells the story of an orphan boy who escapes from a scouting camp to unite with his pen pal and love interest a girl with aggressive tendencies feeling alienated from their guardians and shunned by their peers the lovers abscond to an isolated beach Meanwhile, police captain, uh, played by Willis, organises a search party of scouts and family members to locate the runaways. Yeah, so you, you know, it's kind of worried all the way through that she's going to kill him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Tilda Swinton, I seem to remember playing a quite unpleasant social worker in this. Right. Um, in the way that you can imagine her playing quite an unpleasant social <laughs> worker. Um, so in crafting their screenplay... Anderson and Coppola drew from personal experiences and memories of childhood fantasies, as well as films including Melody from 1971 and The 400 Blows from 1959. So auditions for child actors took eight months and filming took place in Rhode Island over three months in 2011. That's a lot of time to cast people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess it's difficult. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, it premiered at the 2012 Cannes Film Festival, received critical acclaim with its themes of young love, child sexuality, juvenile mental health, and the Genesis flood narrative being praised. Critics cited the film's colour palette and use of visual symmetry, as well as the use of original composition by Alexander Desplat to supplement existing music by Benjamin Britten. Yeah, and I remember that. So they used some of Britain's recording way, I think it's called the orchestra, where he narrates an orchestra and the instruments in the orchestra. Really? So it I says, remember that at all. The bassoon, and then the bassoon starts playing. Right. That's really sweet. So <laughs> that that's that, awful. No, it's great. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, no, maybe it's not great, but in the, in the, in the context of this movie, it works really well. Yeah. So they talk about the symmetrical framing and the colour palette there, but that's something that Anderson's been doing for a long time. Yeah. Um, it really felt like a story to me, though. More than... Even than... Royal Tenenbaums, I think, it's difficult to engage with the story because of the stylized things. And okay. I felt like uh, in this... I, I find it really easy to engage with the story. It's a very... It's a more straightforward story. Mm, mm. Definitely. It's a more... Conventional narrative, I suppose. Yeah, um, and I thought the styling yeah. was was just was just a nice thing, and not the main thing about the film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm just going to have a look at. Um, the response. So it has a rating of ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Uh, the consensus reading, it's a warm, whimsical and poignant, the immaculately framed and beautifully acted movie presents writer-director Wes Anderson at his idiosyncratic best. 
It is warm. I think that's something that some of the other some of the other films could be accused of being cold. Yes, I think that's true. Yeah, definitely. Um, Roger Ebert rated the film three and a half out of five. Again, four rather. And he said that the island world might as well be ruled by Prospero. That's a Shakespearean reference there. I don't understand it. Okay, well, Prospero is the main character from The Tempest. He's a sorcerer. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'm not going to go into any more detail (laughs) because I know that you don't like Shakespeare. And it doesn't really really matter anyway. Okay. Um, So Richard Brody hailed the film as a leap ahead artistically and personally for the director. And for its expressly trans, 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 transcendent theme mm-hmm. and its spiritual references to Noah's Ark. I don't remember those. I don't remember the Noah's Ark thing, no. No, I'm going to have to watch it again to try and figure out, you know, to say, okay, what's that all about? I thought you were going to say transgressive. No, transcendent, transcendent. Yeah. Uh, Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian gave the film four out of five calling it another sprightly collection of oddities, attractively eccentric, witty, and strangely clothed. <laughs> I think Bradshaw frequently says things that he's trying to praise it, but he sounds like he's just being a bit of a jerk. <laughs> and that's one of those sentences, really. You can't give a film four out of five and then dismiss it like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, Moonrise Kingdom is, as we, as we said... A more conventional narrative. It is warm and fuzzy. It does give you a warm and fuzzy feeling, and it's got some great performances in it as well. Yeah, I think I've only seen it once, so I couldn't really say for sure. But I feel like it's probably my favourite. It's good. Yeah, it's very good. Whereas I've seen Royal Tenenbaum several times. Right. Okay. So next up, from 2014, we've got the the Grand Budapest Hotel. Which right. is actually, I think, the only Wes Anderson film that I've seen at the cinema. Okay. So everything else I've seen at home. Um, I'm fairly sure that I haven't seen it. So this is a comedy drama film written and directed by Wes Anderson that explores tragedy, war, fascism, nostalgia, friendship, and loyalty. Uh, so we have some new cast members here, led by Rafe Fiennes. Then we've got F. Murray Abraham. Uh, Matthew Amalric, Adrian Brody returns for this one. William Defoe returns. Jeff Goldblum returns. We've got Harvey Keitel, yeah. uh, Jude Law, Bill Murray, Edward Norton returns. Saoirse Ronan from Lady Bird is in this. Right. Jason Schwartzman is back. Leia Sedu, new cast member. Tilda Swinton's back. Tom Wilkinson is in this. Owen Wilson is back. Tony Revolori is in this. Uh, music again by Alexandra Desplat, who's now like a regular collaborator. So this is set in a hotel called the Grand Budapest Hotel. It's set over a long time period. And one of the things that's really interesting about it is that the aspect ratio of the movie changes as it goes along. So it's it, weird. It starts out in academy ratio, so 4-3 ratio, old television so slightly re- slightly rectangular, but mm-hmm. almost square. And then as the movie progresses, that aspect ratio changes to become wider. Okay. Um, because time is moving on. And it's kind of like a cinematic history lesson, I suppose. Okay. Um, I really, en- really enjoyed this movie. Um, 
so I'll just uh, have a look at the first. So, so the plot is. I'm just trying to find a a, um, a summary. Yes, here we go. So, Rafe finds lead to 17 actor ensemble. He plays Monsieur Gustave H, the famed concierge of a mountainside resort in the kingdom of Zubrovka, which I think is fictional. Uh-huh. When Gustave is framed for the murder of a wealthy dowager, played by Tilda Swinton, he and his recently befriended protégé Zero embark on a quest for fortune and a priceless Renaissance painting against the backdrop of impending pandemonium. So Anderson's American Empirical Pictures produced the film in association with Studio Babelsberg and Indian paintbrushes Scott Rudin. Fox Searchlight handled commercial distribution. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a caper. It's a bit of a, um, a cri- another crime caper, but we're talking about a period okay. crime caper. Okay. Um, I'm trying, trying to see what time period it starts in, whether it actually says that in the plot. Uh, so it, yeah, it definitely moves for, yeah, 1932. So it starts before the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And it, it definitely, I seem to remember some Nazis being in this movie. Okay. So I think it does take in some events from the Second World War. Heck of a cast. Um, yeah, so many. Yeah. Huge, sweeping story. Lovely location. So the, the atrium of the defunct Gorlitzer Veron House, which doubled for the Grand Budapest Hotel lobby. Amazing location. Right. Um, very beautiful. Um, so running down to... Uh, critical response. So it has a rating of. Hmm. Where's the Rotten Tomatoes rating? Uh, so the American press considered it one of the strongest films of 2014, mm-hmm. and it was declared one of the greatest films of the 21st century by a 2016 BBC poll. Com- compiled with data from 177 professional critics. Many of the reviews complemented its craftsmanship, often singling out the film's zany sensibility and Anderson's expertise for further praise. So that that word zany is interesting here. So Mm -hmm. I think this film is a bit Coen's-y. Right, right, right. A little bit. So it has that kind of weird slapstick energy that some of the Mm -hmm. Coen films have. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, the, so this, the critics yeah. seem to keep on eating up his stuff and, and yes. liking it for the same reason that they liked the previous one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you know he's <laughs> he's not definitely tiring of it. Yeah, he's definitely building on. Um, he's building on what he's done before mm-hmm. and improving it and finessing it and you know introducing new cast members. Um, I'm just trying to find rotten. I can't find a rotten tomatoes. Oh, here we go. It's at the bottom. 91% rating. So it says, typically stylish but deceptively thoughtful, it finds Wes Anderson once again using ornate visual environments to explore deeply emotional ideas. It's a good movie. And it's on TV quite a lot as well. So it's it's definitely, I mean, you could put all of these into your PVR and Mm -hmm. it will record them on some channel at some point because his movies are on TV quite a lot. Mm. Um. 
it's good and 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 i think ray finds can be very funny uh in movies but in this movie he really does let rip with some very very interesting and very funny physical comedy right uh, which is very effective um had had a budget of 25 million did very well and took 172.9 so incredibly think, financially successful do you think that was the visual spectacle that sold it yeah yeah it's it's a good movie the grand budapest hotel and has a great cast next mm-hmm. we have from 2018 so four year gap between that's the longest gap I think mm. we have Isle of Dogs and there might be a reason for that this is another stop motion right um, I watched this I think last year uh, so Isle of Dogs or I I Love Dogs which is you could say it like that okay uh, is a stop-motion animated science fiction comedy drama film. Uh-huh. That's a mashup, if ever there was one. <laughs> Set in dystopian near-future Japan, the story follows a pack of banished dogs led by street dog Chief, who's played by Brian Cranston, who helps a young boy named Atari search for his own dog after the species is banished to an island following an outbreak of canine flu. Ooh, that's okay. quite topical. Yeah. Uh, the film's ensemble voice cast includes Edward Norton, Liev Schreiber, Bill Murray, Bob Balaban, Jeff Goldblum, Scarlett Johansson, Konichi Nomura, Tilda Swinton, Ken Watanabe. That's good. Greta I thought we were Gerwig. going to go through a whole <laughs> podcast without having Scarlett Johansson. Well, there she is. Uh, Greta Gerwig, Francis McDormand, F. Murray Abraham, uh, Fisher Stevens from um, Short Circuit. Johnny Five, Mr. Johnny <laughs> Mr. Five. Mr. Johnny Five. <laughs> uh, Yoko Ono, Harvey Keitel. Goodness me. What a cast. Yeah. Um, so what this does, what I Love Dogs does, is it takes the stop motion aesthetic from Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's kind of similar looking, mm-hmm. but it's more finessed. Okay. It's a what lot do you mean more by that? Well, I mean, when I said that some of the stop motion, in fact, maybe all of the stop motion in Fantastic Mr. Fox is a bit rough and ready. Yeah. It's not in Isle of Dogs. Okay. okay. It's meticulously put together. Okay. Um, in fact, it's quite beautiful. The whole movie is quite stunningly beautiful to look at and has a very involving and very powerful storyline of a boy looking for his dog that he thinks is on this island. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of an odyssey. It's um, you know, what he discovers is that things are not what they seem okay. on the island, okay. Okay. and that maybe this canine flu is made up. I'm I'm skirting around plot points because this isn't mm-hmm. a spoilery podcast mm-hmm. this time. Oh, well, I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, plot in a futuristic Japan, an outbreak of canine influenza spreads through the fictitious city of Megasaki, that's a good name, with the risk of becoming contagious to humans. See, it's becoming more topical the more I read this. Uh, The city's authoritarian mayor ratifies an official decree banishing all dogs to Trash Island, Uh which is immediately approved despite the insistence of Professor Watanabe, the mayor's political opponent, who states he is close to creating a cure for the dog flu. (laughs) 
So the first canine deported from the city is a white and black spotted dog named Spots Kobayashi, who serves as the bodyguard of 12-year-old orphan Atari Kobayashi, the mayor's distant nephew and ward. So that's the plot. Mm-hmm. So there's a big, there's big emotional stuff. There's some great voice acting. Uh, lovely stop motion. Is it a children's film? Uh, no. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't let my daughter watch this. I think it would freak her out. Okay. <laughs> Is it scary? I, yeah, yeah. It's definitely scary. I mean, the first thing that Brian Cranston's dog says to Atari is, "I'm not a nice dog. I bite." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is kind of a defence for him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the way that the dogs can talk, but that's what a dog says to you when it looks at you. Yeah, is I'm not a dice dog. I bite, mm-hmm. but it doesn't bite you. But it's letting you know that you sh- you should keep away. Yeah. Um, I mean, there shouldn't be any dogs, really. No. Box office, uh, 64.2. doesn't say what the budget was, though. Um, I loved this. Really? Absolutely loved it. I would, I'd watch it again well, as soon as possible, really. It's so, so good. And it's very wow. memorable. There's, there's scenes in it that are... It's, it's a powerful story of a boy looking for his dog that he thinks might be dead. Maybe it's not. Um... As he's walking why, why around, I love the, it so much. I just love the aesthetic of it, and the performances okay. are really good. Okay, um, it's great. I love dogs. Really, really great. It's a, there's a real theme of like visual, yeah, visual styling, but also just caring about things that look nice. Definitely, and in this podcast on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a rating of ninety percent. Mm-hmm. Says the beautifully stop motion animated Isle of Dogs finds Wes Anderson at his detail oriented best, whilst telling one of the director's most winsomely charm- charming stories. Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's terrific Isle of Dogs. I think probably not seen by enough people. I don't think it was marketed very well. Um, and also, it is not a family film, but it's a stop motion movie. Hmm. So that's a that's a bit of a problem. I think the stop motion is probably not taken seriously as an art form. Oh, um, it's about dogs as well, right? Yeah. I mean, who cares, right? Is that, it's about dogs, isn't it? Can't I go I mean, and see Fast like and Furious? It just sounds like a children's film. Yeah, it does sound like a children's film, but it's definitely not. <coughs> um, but it's great. Isle of Dogs is great. Hmm. That's it. We're up to date. So, So he's got a movie... Uh, I guess it might be released on some kind of streaming platform. But yeah, for 2020, a movie called The French Dispatch. Um, again, a, a Roman Coppola co-write and Jason Schwartzman and Hugo Guinness. But, Bill Murray? Uh, Bill Murray's in that, person newspaper editor. But that doesn't have a release date yet because all the cinemas are shut. So w- whether that yeah. will appear on a streaming service or not, I don't know. So, can you see a theme running through his films, other than the like visual thing, in terms of story or what what he's trying to say about the world? Is there a, a thread of meaning? Um, there must be one, mustn't there? I think, you know, if we think about the films of Steven Spielberg, 
his thread of meaning is um uh you know the breakup of family mm-hmm. um because his family broke up when he was quite young uh but for wes anderson um this, yeah, it's, it's a good question. It's hard to say. I'm just looking back through the, the filmography. Is it like there. emotional repression? or that's, yeah, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense considering the performances the, that he gets out of people where people are quite emotionally repressed. Probably the, ex- yeah, the exception to that is probably Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Although... The, the kids there are like modelling how you should be. Yes, but the adults want them to be something else. Yeah. They want them to be suppressed. Um, Isle of Dogs, I think that little Atari is very much in touch with his emotions and the adults are not. Uh, right. So Yeah, maybe there's a kind of... Uh, and I'm not sure that Grand Budapest Hotel has any of that stuff in it. I think it's, it's a really good knockabout physical comedy movie. That takes in some big subjects, but is basically a, you know, a knockabout Three Stooges type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Royal Tenenbaums is all about a really messed up family. Mm. So yeah, maybe there are issues of family here, but certainly the repression is something that does seem to be um, front and center. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good mm. question. That's a good point. But yeah, we're up. Could that's that. it. We just did Wes Anderson's uh, filmography. So, listener, let us know on the Mastodons or on the Twitters or on yes. the blog, artificialworlds.net slash goodrobotandies, um, which is your favourite Wes yes. Anderson film and why? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, or which one you plan to watch next? So, I think my I think my favourite of the early, the early ones is Roll Tenenbaums. Mm-hmm. My favourite of the recent ones is Isle of Dogs. Right, right, right. You've um, almost convinced me I should watch Heart of Dogs. It's great. I yeah. think my kids have watched Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'm sure they have. I got it for Christmas. Um, I guess I'd quite like to watch that. It's good. Yeah. Um, so I've made a I've made a grid matrix of where you can watch Wes Anderson's movies online. <laughs> His stuff isn't available on... Well, there's only one... So Fantastic Mr. Fox is available on Prime Video... But none of his movies are on Netflix. Everything, most of them are on, so you can pay for them, you can rent them or buy them digitally. Uh, but they're all available on disc. Mm-hmm. Or you can record them off the television because they're always on. <laughs> um, so they're on Amazon Prime or something if you pay for them? Yeah, I mean, you have to pay for Prime. Yeah, no, so Prime, if you have Prime, then Fantastic Mr. Fox is available on Prime. Right, but not the others. No. Even if you pay more. Uh, oh yeah, so Amazon Video. <laughs> some of them are available on Amazon. Video. Okay, 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 okay. Um, I think the most represented platform is probably Google Play. Okay, I didn't know that even existed anymore. Uh, yeah, so Google Play Movies is is a thing. Yeah. So you can rent them or buy them from there. But it seems that in terms of streaming. Uh, probably to do with his soundtracks. So his soundtracks feature quite a lot of um, uh, pop music. Mm-hmm. That's very difficult for licensing. Mm. Um, 
So uh, that's probably why they're not on. There's not many on streaming platforms. Right. Anyway, I uh, will post that that Matrix grid on the blog. We'll stick it. So people can on see the it. Blog. Yes. Uh, and uh, that's it for this week. Next cool. week, well, next time, a different director or maybe a movie. Or something else. Yeah, or something different, yeah. What have you been uh, consuming this week? Oh, yes, What's that's media? a good question. So, just started watching a show on Channel 4 called Feel Good. Okay. Which I'm already hooked on. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, almost finished watching, I think it finishes this week, a, a show called Better Things. Okay. Which you can what you can catch all of that on the iPlayer. Okay. Um, that's very good, very very insightful. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Um, what are these things? What is Feel Good? Feel Good is a show all about a stand-up comic, Canadian stand-up comic who's living in Britain, a woman uh, who's playing herself, uh, and she's a bit of a mess. And she has a relationship with another woman who's not a bit of a mess. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a relationship-driven comedy drama. It's very funny. It's very good. And Better Things is about a single mum who's raising three children in Los Angeles area. She's an actress. And it's just, uh, it's about her relationship with her mum, which is pretty spiky her mum's played by Imelda Staunton what's better things on uh, BBC BBC mm -hmm. 2 that's very good better things is great uh, just looking then, these things up in case I want to watch them over the weekend watched um, oh Knives Out watched Knives Out last night what's that that's a murder mystery by Ryan Johnson, who made The Last Jedi and okay. other, other movies. Uh, have you seen Looper? Yes. Yes, so he made Looper a few years ago now. Cool. What um, did you watch Knives Out on? Watched it on disc. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Well, I'm trying to think what else we want. Should we watch another movie this weekend? Maybe it wasn't very memorable. <laughs> hmm. we, we've we been consuming well I've been consuming um, the Switch game Trials, Trials Rising yes I have I have been consuming that as well Trials is, is a series that's quite long running I think where, right. which is a like a sideways on um, motorbike game where yep. you have to uh, lean forward and lean back and accelerate and brake and that's it basically and you have to like um, not overbalance and drive up slopes. It's hellishly. Sometimes it's hellishly and, difficult. It's very, very difficult. And you have this incredible sense of achievement when you uh, achieve something in it. Yes. Uh, I'm absolutely loving it. I love that, that gameplay style where if you mess up even slightly, you just start again. Yeah. Just try again, try again, try again. Try again, try again, try again. <laughs> I just love it. Uh, today, in fact, I... Um, I successfully did one of the most difficult practice 
sessions. I wow. love the practices especially because they're very pure. You don't even have scenery yeah. or anything. You're just trying to jump over ramps or something. And there's a bit where you have to like balance on your front wheel and then bounce onto your back wheel in order to get enough spring oh, that you wow. can leap up this um this very tall platform. Yeah. Uh, and I did that this evening. I was so You were punching with the F. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I stood with both arms raised for several <laughs> minutes. <laughs> So I've been really enjoying trials. I would recommend the Switch as a platform very yeah. heartily. I recently got a, I got a Switch. It's very impressive. Good, good, good. Yeah. And uh, uh, although I don't approve really of mobile uh, gaming devices, but it's okay. You can plug it into the TV. So. Yeah, for me, I think it's Nintendo back on the form of doing stuff that's different to everybody else. Absolutely. But and making games... it interesting and playable. Yeah. And they've got their whole suite of games that they make. And also, as sometimes happens with Nintendo platforms, you've got a whole load of games made by other people. So it's it's one of the generations of Nintendo that's where it's been successful enough that everyone else has got on board and made games for it as well. Yeah, it's sold really well. So I've got a um, a Grid game for it from the, the Grid series, which is um driving thing, which I really like, which I couldn't get on previous Nintendo platforms but you can get it on the Switch for example okay. yeah it's good I really yeah, like it yeah it's good um, and the other thing I've been consuming is Ed Snowden's um, memoir oh yeah permanent record so Ed Snowden is famous for leaking an enormous archive of American intelligence information yeah it's what kicked off the revelation that we were being spied on yeah, so he uh, he was so appalled by the bulk collection of um, basically all communications information about everyone in the world that, that the uh, NSA and the CIA could get hold of mm. um, that he, he told the world about it. And it was up until then, there was a suspicion that this might be happening, but it was a bit of a conspiracy theory. And, yeah. And, he demonstrated that he it, confirmed was, it. it was at least as bad as the conspiracy theories. He now lives in Russia. Yeah, so he went into hiding. I haven't got to that bit yet. Okay. Um, Sorry, I just spot the ending for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he's. It, it's quite personal. It <clears throat> talks about his childhood and things like that. And it's got some, like, geeky references. Um, but it, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't go geeky enough to put, put you off if you're not into that, I think. That's cool. Um, so I think that Oliver Stone's accessible. movie, mm-hmm. which I think is called Snowden, mm-hmm. might not be though. I think that's based on that memoir. Is it? Because I, I, I thought so. the memoir came out later. Okay, so maybe I'm, I'm wrong then. It may not be, maybe but I'm I don't wrong. know. It came out about a year ago, something like that. Okay, I'm wrong then. I'm definitely okay, wrong. Okay. But I enjoyed Oliver Stone's movie. I thought right, it was yeah, I'd like to see that. Pretty successful. But yeah, it, um. Ed Snowden is a, is like a really likable chap, and part of his goal for this book, I think, is to convince you that he's like a patriotic American. So yeah. he, interestingly, he takes you through this journey that he went through. He he was appalled by nine eleven and actually joined the army mm. um, because he wanted to fight. Um, so he's not kind of a you know a a, a traitor just looking for something to betray his country over you know he's he's he views himself at least as, as a, a patriot a great greatly patriotic person who's mm. sort of realized that the state is betraying the country 
and that's why he did what he did. I mean, obviously, it's from his point of view, and that's the impression he's trying to give. But um, well, when I felt yeah, it's pretty at convincing. Time, <laughs> I remember when the when the, the revelations came out. What I felt about it at the time was that this guy is is a serious is a serious patriot, patriot, mm. patriot. He's a professional spy guy. He knows how stuff works. And if he says there's something rotten in there, we should probably take him seriously. Mm. That's the way I felt about it, really. Well, I definitely think you'd be interested to read the book because he really explains everything that was going on mm. um, and also his own journey of kind of realising what was happening and mm. presumably uh, deciding what he's going to do about it. I haven't got to that bit yet. Right, okay. Yeah, I think um, I would enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Cool. I don't. Excellent. I basically never read memoirs or biographies or anything like that, so it's a bit weird for me to be reading it. But mm. um, I, I'm enjoying it. Nice, cool. I bought um, Rosewater. Right, 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 right. Audible. Have you started? No, no, not yet. But I will. Right. Yeah, it's in my Audible queue. Oh, other things to uh, let listen know about. Um, given the global pandemic and everything. Some companies have been giving away small amounts of things for free. So, have they? Rather than rather than focusing on the global pandemic, let's focus on some free products that you can uh, consume. Oh yes, Steam. So yes, yeah. Oh, is there stuff on Steam? There is uh, Tomb Raider. Oh yeah, yeah. I managed to I managed to uh, purchase Tomb Raider for zero pounds. So free until the twenty fourth of March. Which is tomorrow, so I, listener. Oh, gosh. Yes. Uh, well, this will be out later, so you've still got time, potentially. Yeah. So I believe Tomb Raider is the first of the reboot series. Right. Um, and I've already bought the third, which oh. I think is called Rise of the Tomb Raider. That sounds right, yeah. yeah. So really, I ought to buy the middle one, <laughs> given that they've given me the first one for free. So let's see how this works. Do. That's what they want you to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so I've, I've started playing... Rise of the Tomb Raider uh, with it, uh, with some pals, and uh, I've been enjoying it. Cool. Um, but yeah, also itch.io mm-hmm. um, has got a large number of games that normally... Well, they've got quite a lot of games that are f- always free, and they've got a large number of games that are normally money that are currently free. Nice. So have a look at itch.io. There, there's often some really quirky independent games on there. The ones that... My son and I have really enjoyed. We've only played maybe half an hour of it so far, but really enjoyed. Are two games called Bleed and Bleed Two. Okay. Which are just super fun. Um, it's like a platform game where you shoot by moving the joystick to, for the direction you, sh- you want to shoot. So it's mm. the kind of thing where I normally find that really frustrating because I can't coordinate myself because mm. I'm not very coordinated. But it's it's an it's a very encouraging game the way it the way the mechanic works. And actually, even just the messages it gives you, like, oh, yeah. I'll try again, or whatever. Try <laughs> like, again, it's nice so to you. It's basically <laughs> nice to you. Um, uh, and, the, yeah, the way the game's structured, it's l- much less frustrating than I normally find games like that. Oh, nice. Uh, just nice. really, yeah, real sense of energy to it, really, like, bleed and bleed too. Those are both on itch.io. They're both free at the moment. Cool. Also, Audible have made, I think, all their children's books free? Yes, they have. So That's very good. I believe once you download something on Audible, you can keep hold of it um, forever. So. Uh, yes, you can. Yeah. So if your if your account lapses, 
So if you if you terminate it, you keep all the books forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So consider jumping on Audible if you've got kids who want need a bit of entertaining. Definitely. It's definitely worth it. Audible is pretty amazing. If you cool. don't have time to read books, but you want to have an audio book in the car, obviously people aren't travelling as much at the moment. But yeah. audio books for kids at the moment is a good idea. Yeah. So, listener, let us know what uh, what you're doing to keep yourself from going insane. Yes. Especially what movies you're watching or what you'd like to hear us talk about because you've always been curious about it but you're too scared to watch it. Mm. We'll watch it for you. I'll watch it for you. Yes. <laughs> yes, we will. Yes, we, oh, yes, we will. Yes. <laughs> I feel like maybe I want to watch Mother again. Do you think it might be a bit intense? Yeah. I like it, though. I think, in retrospect, after not being sure whether I liked it, I now think I just really like it. I thought Mother was amazing. I think it's one of the most immersively strange experiences I've ever had watching a movie. Very intense. Very intense. And uh, I stayed away from spoilers before I watched it. Right, yeah, I had very little idea. So every time it escalated, I was like, oh, okay, we're doing Uh, that now. uh, Okay, and now we're doing this, and then this, (laughs) and then this. One other recommendation. If you're... um uh, if you're worried that you're going to uh, go mad and you like playing games, or or if you liked making huge Lego vehicles when you were a child and then smashing things with them or smashing them into your dinosaur or whatever, mm. um, relive that feeling by playing Besiege off Steam, uh, Yes, which has just gone 1.0, I think, uh, and they've just released an, a whole other level set that I haven't started yet. Mm. You basically build these um, like war machines and then blow things up and smash into them. And it's so fun. Yeah, it does sound like fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, give it a go. Cool. That's not free. Free. But it's good. I can't think of anything else. Uh, that was some random things. I think if people are self isolating, it really helps to make a plan. Have a routine. Have a routine. Uh, it also really helps that if you have uh, colleagues and friends that you're not in contact with, to keep in contact with them. Um, so, for for example, we have a call. So you and me and somebody else mm-hmm. in our peer group have a call tomorrow just so we can talk about how we're all coping just or not. Check in. Yeah, check, check in. in and say, right. How are we doing? Have we got any tips for stopping the kids from destroying the house? Because um, uh, we are, we're self-isolating here, and so are my wife's mum and dad. Mm-hmm. So we are able to, they're able to take the kids because uh-huh. they're following the same regimen that we are. Uh-huh. Um, but some people don't have that luxury. So yeah. for some people, they're, their parents are maybe not self-isolating in which case we can't we couldn't be with them but uh, we can do it but certainly my hands are like sandpaper from washing yeah wash your hands yeah try not to go places yeah if you don't have to then don't and uh, try and think of ways of uh, 
um, keeping your social contact up digitally. Yeah. It's weird, but it's it's going to save people's lives if we manage to do it. And I was reading a st- I was reading a thing on Facebook today about the infection rate for the for the coronavirus. Mm. So uh, a doctor was talking about the flu, and he was saying that uh, the average flu epidemic, uh, if one person has it, they'll pass it to one or two people. Mm-hmm. For the coronavirus, it's it's tougher, so it can it can live for longer outside the human body. It can live on stuff, so one person can definitely pass it to three people. Mm-hmm. So it spreads much quicker, and its symptoms are we know what the symptoms are, but uh, you are you're contagious whilst you're walking around and you don't even know it. Mm-hmm. So it's really serious. Really serious. Yep. So, you uh, feed your uh, desire to stay indoors and watch movies. Definitely. That's what I'm doing. And watch good TV. Yes. Yes, indeed. Okay, I think that's it. Is that cool. it? You got anything yeah, to plug? Anything to plug? Have you done anything pluggable? Uh, I made a video about React. Did I mention that? No, I don't think so. I made a video about uh, like basic ideas of React. Okay. It's on YouTube. Uh, React is a programming framework for making websites. Uh, I'm planning to do some more React stuff if I ever get around to it. My, one problem with locking me inside my house is that all motivation for me to do anything immediately disappears. Right. <laughs> so okay. I'm not very good. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully I might do something. Okay. <laughs> I I um at lunchtime today I did some I power washed the backyard. Nice. Which was really satisfying because it's filthy. Nice. I just lay around feeling awful because I've got some kind of illness that I'm fairly sure is not the illness. No, you know it's making it me was. feel miserable. Yeah. You definitely know. It's a bit unfair it. to have an illness that's not the illness. No, I think it's perfectly fine. You don't want oh. the illness. No, I'm not saying I want the illness. <laughs> just seems unfair to have some other illness. I don't think that's a thing. Okay. <laughs> you need to <laughs> let pro- that go. I'm sure you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you for listening, listener. Yeah, if you did. If you did. Uh, but if you did, you now have um, some recommendations of Wes Anderson and we'll get that grid put up on the blog so you can see where yeah. it's available. And let us know which one you like. Yeah. And let us know what you're watching to keep sane. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, probably The See Walking Dead, I should think. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just survival tips. Yes. Morally. No, I mean, it doesn't give you much practical tips, but in terms of moral preparedness, it's, it's right there. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Cool. See you, See you next time. Take care. Cheers. Bye.